Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Football world in shock as it turns out team that plays better football wins football match. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner, and we won the Derby. North London is red and Tottenham get battered everywhere they go, everywhere they go. That's right. Uh, Antonio Conte's team, I, I think you got to give him credit. You absolutely, no, I'm going to go with the drill tweet. Correcting my previous tweet, when it comes to Tottenham Hotspur, you do not indeed need to give them any credit. They mustered one shot from open play, even with their contractually obligated penalty for Harry Kane. They were not able to overcome the mighty Arsenal, a team that plays the better football. And I, for one, couldn't be happier about it. If you've been listening to previous podcasts, we said prove it. Well, we're one half of the prove it algorithm, prove it uh, calculation done. The other half will be next weekend. When we face a Liverpool team that, oh, by the way, just failed to win at home again. So we'll be interesting to see Martinelli running in behind Trent Alexander-Arnold all day next weekend. But there'll be plenty of time to cover that. I'm going to introduce a couple of men who were at the game. I'm going to introduce uh, a man who wasn't at the game. But in general, we're going to have a great conversation about it, regardless of where you watched it. But I do want to say, uh, we love you. Have I mentioned we love you? Well, because we love you, we are now asking you to love us back, if you don't mind. Uh, Andrew, Arscast will be nominated for the FSA, and I hope we'll get a chance to vote for him. We are nominated for the FCA, which is kind of like the FSA if it was smaller. Um, and it is Best Premier League Podcast, and we are up against a Tottenham podcast. And even though we know they will just sit back and wait for votes to come in and not actually try to go get votes, we are going to be more like the Arsenal and try to get those votes by asking you to please look in the description of this podcast, click the link, vote, or copy the text and paste it on social media we love you for doing it and um a night that i will always remember last year because it's when i met clive and i look forward to hopefully having the chance to be there again this year it is in manchester um so maybe i can go there and uh relive my cackle at manchester united who just keep allowing an avalanche of goals to be scored against them okay clive's on twitter clive bfc hello clive hello hello tim's on twitter Roberto, hello tim hello there paul's on twitter pause my pants hello pause Woohoo! Someone said I need to slow down when I announce you guys so they can hear your Twitter handles. I slowed it way down that time, so hopefully everybody got it. Clive, you were at the game. You were at the ground. You were at the experience. You lucky son of a... No, I'm not going to go with straight jealousy. I'm going to go with happiness for you. How happy a day was it to watch the Arsenal smash Tottenham Hotspur? I'm happy for everybody. It was a a really good day. Uh, Good atmosphere around the ground. I was saying a little bit earlier... You know, it's not the first time I've been there, but every time I go there, it feels like the first time. I don't know, something strange about going to football matches. It just feels unique. <laughs> it feels unique every time. And um, the North London derby it just feels a bit more edgy, right? Whether you go home or away, it's it's, it's real. Um, what's on what's on it is different. 
I know we've all got mates from the other side, shall we say? And uh, it's important that we uh, we're humble along the way. That shows bad <laughs> character on your part, by the way. I do not have mates on the other side. We do not uh, all have mates from yeah. the other side. Well, but... you know, I've got a brother who's, who's uh, so there you go. Oh, dear. Uh, oh, dear. And. Um, and so, yeah, we, we know people then, shall we say, on the other side. It's important that they um, that we can put them in their place or keep them in that their place. That they know their place, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> being quietly humble, but like, you know, knowing that there's always another game and we've got another game to go in January against them. But, yeah, good experience, good feeling around the Grand Prix. I will say <laughs> it's an unbelievable feeling around the ground afterwards. I mean, um, the queues outside the pubs were just ridiculous to try to get in them. I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I did a, I did the instant reaction recording, so I was a little bit late out. But trying to get into the time, to no chance. Went up the road to another pub. Just, I mean, the queues. I'm talking, I'm talking, fifteen, fifty yards, hundred yards. And then you looked at the pub and you're looking inside thinking, that looks like a fire risk. I can't go in there. You go to the next one. <laughs> you go to the next one. It's exactly the same. People spinning out the front. They end up in the 12 pins, actually, in the end, by Finchley Park Tube. And, um, and, that's, that's, and that's where it was. I mean, literally, it was a challenge. Every single pub you went past was mobbed with people outside hanging out the windows and this, I looked at my watch, it's like 4 o'clock, 4.30. I dread to think what 10.30 looked like. Uh, that, that <laughs> I'll tell you this. Giant Gunner was tweeting it. What I think was roughly like 4.15 a.m. London time talking about his hangover. I was like, if you're yeah. hungover at 4.15, <laughs> you did Honestly, it right, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, Tim knows what I mean. When it's when that ground, around the area, there's a lot of places to go. When they're all full up like that and the sun is shining and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon and people are on it, You've only got to project forward and think this could be really, really, really messy. So uh, well, I got out of there about six, seven, and, and, and made my way home from there on in. I'm glad it was a good day, Tim. It sounded like a good day. The crowd was in good voice. I will say there was there were moments of of sort of nervousness in in the ground. You could sense it. But something that's happening to me this season is because I really believe what we're doing and feel really confident in it. I don't have the same anxiety-inducing nervousness that I've had recently because I sort of trust the competence of this team, or at least that when they come out, I'm not going to say, what is this? I don't recognize this. I trust that they're going to come out and play well. And I sort of wonder, did you feel as nervous? Did the ground feel as as anxious to you, or was it more of a sort of celebratory atmosphere from the start? What's really interesting about this, I spoke to, I spoke to several people before uh, the game. I didn't hang around afterwards like Clive, but um, before the game, the Tollington were the only pub serving at 10am. And uh, I thought I had good intel on that. And it turns out that half of Islington knew <laughs> <laughs> because it was absolutely rammed. But um, nice. I, I spoke to Andrew before the game and I kind of asked him about nerves and he said, no, I'm not nervous at all. When I spoke to um, to Tone as well, West Stand Tone for people who follow him on Twitter, um, doesn't like Tottenham a lot. That comes out out a lot in his <laughs> it tweets. Sure does. Yeah. I asked him, and he said, "This this is like the least nervous I've felt before a North London derby." And like we couldn't really put our fingers on why, because we knew there was a lot riding on it. And I think particularly because of the way the results go at home in these games or they tend to go at home it feels like there's extra pressure when you're at home because it's just it's like if we don't beat them at home then we've got to beat them away and we never beat them away and and honestly just I, I don't know if it was you know to do with the afternoon kickoff maybe like the international break and all of that but 
I didn't detect any nerves at all. And the other thing, to that point, Elliot, the other thing that's happening that's partly a, a symptom of the belief in the team is when teams equalise or score, you hear the reaction in the ground. It gets louder when that happens. And I don't It's a positive think, reaction. It's not that sort yeah, of moaning, groaning, nervousness reaction. Yeah. E- exactly. And I, I didn't feel, um, and I don't think the ground felt, dread when Spurs equalised it was a bit like oh for fuck's sake they don't deserve this like they've mm-hmm. been in our penalty area once but it, I, I think it's just this feeling of if we keep doing this we'll score again it's okay like if we keep playing like that like the only way we don't score is if we somehow just pack up and stop and I think that's really feeding in I think last season when you heard those kind of reactions it was almost like a okay, we like this team, they're young, we want to get behind them. But this year, it feels a lot more like, no, we're, we're doing all right, we're doing all right. Maybe we, we're conceding too many goals when we shouldn't. I do think that's a theme of this season. But I feel it's much more of like a confidence. And there was there was a big confidence, I think, in the crowd yesterday. And I, I felt it as well. I went into that game thinking, I just think we're going to win. Like, I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park. <clears throat> It kind of was, actually, for the last half in, an hour. In but, some ways, yeah. Yeah, I, but I, I really, really felt so strongly that we were going to win this game. Um, and, and I think a lot of people felt like that. That was the vibe I got. I think you see exactly in this game what I've been trying to articulate about the styles of play that we have and they have. And what I mean is, it's not that they carry no threat. It's that they create so little that their margin for error is minuscule. The three or four good counter opportunities they get, they got to make the perfect pass, then get the perfect shot, then finish it. We know all about that, guys. We played sort of that way the past few seasons, and we've seen what it does. It gets you some days where you ping it up the pitch with a beautiful counterattack and get the goal, and you're celebrating, but there are a lot of days where you your two chances don't come off, and you're saying, oh, if we'd, if we'd taken our chances, we'd win. No one takes 100% of their chances. Then on the other side, our 22 shots, our dominance in their defensive third just keeps creating half chance here, third of a chance there, big chance here. And over time, that does win out. Paul, I I, I want to break the game into... Mm -hmm. Sorry, I just wanted to... like. I I think um, sometimes it's good to see things from the other side as well. And Jack Pitbrook wrote a good article in The Athletic actually today, largely saying what you've said, Elliot, that the headline is Spurs have to be perfect. Yeah, and basically, it. they've got a couple of attackers that means that they kind of can be Some quite days a they lot. Can. Yep. But yeah, he he said it, he described it as a fragile game plan. When you've got Son and Kane, there's a chance that creating very little can still be enough. But it's just a really, really low percentage way to play. And so, Paul, I, I do see this game in four periods. There's the period up till they get the penalty. There's the penalty to halftime. There's halftime to the red card, and there's the red card to full-time. I think we dominated three of those four periods, and we're a little more even than we would have liked to have been in one of those periods. And I think everybody can figure out which one of those periods it is. After the penalty up until halftime, I think they had a little bit more of the game, finding ways to get past our press at times. But all in all, I felt this was a 7 out of 10 from Arsenal that was still far too much for Spurs to handle, and I think that's a great sign. It's funny, when they talk about winning ugly, they're talking about Spurs. No, Spurs don't win ugly. They just are ugly, and sometimes they win. This is winning ugly for us in the sense that on a day when we didn't have our absolute peak 
performance, it was still more than enough for Spurs. And so one of the things that I think really has to be discussed here just briefly is, Paul, it feels like a long time since we went into a big game at what I'd consider full strength. This was the arsenal that you'd pick for any big game this season. If you could write down 11 names, these are probably the 11 names you'd write down. Pretty darn close. I think pretty much spot on. And it felt so good to be able to go out there and not have to worry about the excuse or how we're going to cover for this position or cover for that position. I think right out of the block, we're in their we're in their defensive third from the start. Martinelli has that shot low off the post. There's a sack of ball over the top for a Shaq improvised shot, and we had them push back immediately. So how important do you think it was that we were able to finally go into a big game with the exact full-strength team you'd pick so that everybody could really feel uh, full throttle right at, right from the start. Well, yeah. I mean, I was feeling fairly confident coming into this tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I saw the lineup, when I saw a party in there, I'm like, yep, yep, we got this. Yeah. Um, I agree with the way you divided up the game. Uh, the one thing I would say is we actually ended the last five minutes of the first half super strong which I think will have done us no harm at halftime and coming out in the second half. Um, and I, I think it's an important kind of bookend. We didn't actually kind of peter out towards the end of the half. I know that's kind of quibbling over the details. Um, and I think as well, they started with one of those kind of rugby kickoffs where all their team was on the left-hand side. They charged up the wing. It took us 30 seconds to get the ball back. And then I know... We may discuss Martin Odegaard not having his strongest day, but that little bit of combo play threw him with him out of there, up the right-hand side to get it into their uh, final third. And we just started battering them for 15, 20 minutes, uh, setting the tone, putting down our marker, uh, as you said, establishing our bona fides, whatever they are. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like, that was the game. We got It took us a while to get that goal. We got it on around 20 minutes. Thomas Party with the F.U. Tim Stillman strike from outside the box. Uh, for those who don't know, apart from being on the podcast, Tim Stillman opera- operates the uh, shots since Thomas Party scored.com website in his part time. <laughs> um, and an absolute gem. Apparently, Arteta said something that implied we had been working on something like that. We saw that weakness, that vulnerability. So at least he believes Tim. And yeah, look, I think the personnel were a huge part of this. Um, we totally outplayed these guys, but they're still really bloody dangerous. Um, but I think across the the uh, totality is of a season, this is the way you play football to accumulate points. I still have my marker of 23, 24 wins, and we're top four. Um, what are we, seven of eight? Uh, that's what it's about for me. And Look at winning- Negative Nelly over here wanting top four like a chump. We went past top four weeks ago, man. How many points to the title, buddy? <laughs> Tell me that math. Come on. City looked beatable. They let in three goals today. For God's sakes, we're recording right after City 6, United 3, for the record. Indeed. Um, That's but, Clive's line, please. Yeah. Um, indeed. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> okay. um, so, yeah, look, for me, I saw football that you want to play across the season. And yeah. Tottenham will get results. They'll have better days than this, but but this is the ship you want to be in across the season. 
It's just wild to me, Clive, and I'm, I wonder what it was like sort of seeing it in front of you from the kickoff. They just sink so deep into their 4-5-1 or, you know, if you want to call it a 5-4-1, a whichever it is, but it's a bank of nine in front of their goalkeeper. And I do wonder if shooting from distance at the top of the box was a plan because early on, Shaka took a speculative shot from outside of the box. White took a speculative shot from outside of the box. Party takes one that he scores. Oh, by the way, Gabriel Jesus's goal comes from not a speculative shot, but a, a somewhat you know wide and distant shot from Saka. I think when you when you bunker so deep, it can be hard to play through. They are compact. Let's give them credit. It's not easy to play through those two banks of nine. Or, you know the bank banks of nine they got back there. But when you shoot, if there's a spill, if there's a rebound, if there's a deflection, we had Martinelli in the box. We had Jesus in the box. We had Saka in the box. Off and then one more, whether that was Odegaard or Saka. So, I mean, Clive, it is. It is really eye-catching to me in that first section before their penalty, how deep they were sitting, how much control we had, and how little they could play out. I mean, how do you how do you think about that period of the game and the extent to which we were able to just exert so much pressure on them? Right, cause and effect, right? You only go deep because you're seeing the ball move across the pitch and you can't get it. So what do you do? Yeah, yeah. You drop. When you're worried about yeah. when you're worried about people's movements and you've got two lines, what do you do? Your lines get close. If your line, if your two defensive lines and your five four get close, what do you leave? If you keep the ball enough and you recycle it enough, people are deep enough that when you push it back out again, second phase from the edge of the area, you're twenty five yards out, twenty yards out, you can get a shot. Right, so these things don't just happen. These things are things you do to people. And I think there are there's two sides to this game. There's a tactical side. There's a psychological side. Psychologically, we laid our blanket over them and said, this is how we're going to play. Every now and again, they punched out to try to break out the blanket. If you, and, and it was dangerous when they did because they're powerful athletes. They're big men. When they travel, they push some of our bodies over. And then if they get the break, nick it through someone's legs, they're in two on two. And you feel the tension, right? You feel the tension. If they make this last pass, then they could get a shot. You know, they didn't quite do that enough. <clears throat> but that tension never left me. I'm sorry. I, I wasn't one of those that were had a cigar on. I was messaged Andrew before the game. And he said he wasn't worried. And I, I said to him, I'm petrified, right? So um, so I'm not one of them. So, yeah, I knew he was going to win. No, 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 no. I was petrified the entire, until about, till the third goal went in. Then I started to feel a little bit more relaxed. But even then I had the 4-4 in my head, right? So I didn't feel relaxed until about the 93rd minute. And then it was all on, right? So, um. The psychological side of laying our game on them, and this is something that's very important. In every single game since pre-season, we have laid that tactical blanket over people and said, this is who we are. The only time we didn't was Old Chapel for the first five minutes or so, but every other game we have controlled it. Elliot, you know the numbers better than me. Every single game we have controlled possession, and I've always looked at the better sides and asked myself, why is this happening? Why do people fall away? It's your technical ability to receive it, move it, at pace a pass, drop off when you need to, make the pitch big, then squeeze it in when you need to make it small and keep the ball. And people get psychologically drained by that. And then you gain territory. Now, Spurs gave that up and they wanted us to throw the ball into the Venus flytrap. Their big bodies can win it. And then they're on the transition. And what I loved about our performance was the patience and technical 
composure not to do a hit and hope into the box. So big wardrobe Dyer yes, can head it out. Great point. Mm-hmm. Uh, can head it out to Son, who's deep, who's now running free. Because he's not being marked when he's defending in a strange way. He's not being marked, right? He's trying to defend. So when he breaks, he's now a free spirit. So is Richardson, a six foot one athlete, bombing up the pitch. And so you have to be very careful. Don't just cross it to try to get a new. It's not, it's not what, it's exactly what they want. And we were very patient to create phases of play off the sidelines and really hold them while recognizing that the accuracy of these passes and, and selections was so important to not give them transition. Even when we shot, we shot big. And you may you may laugh at me, right? But shooting sometimes later on, shoot big, shoot either hard and high. If it goes if it goes over the bar, fine, they can't do it quickly. If you cross to the back stick, inverted cross, go big. Don't go short. They can cut it out in the middle and drive down our middle. These details are really important. I think sometimes you say to me, was it planned to shoot in veggie area? Hmm. Maybe. Uh, Odegaard mentioned something about that. But, mate, if you're sitting there in defence with nine people in the box and they're giving, they're giving the edge of the box, what are you going to do? You're going to shoot, right? And, uh, and, and we yep. shot. And what I loved about this game, among many, many, many things, is that we took what was on offer. They gave us the outsides. Saka kept it to two against men, popped it back. We recycled at the other side, kept it patient. And Martinelli, little third man run in behind, check a third man run in behind. It was consistent patterns, but to really create quality and not just be plucky. I'm talking not Cedric plucky. You know what I mean by that? The Cedric cross, the plucky cross. Mm-hmm. We got a bit mm-hmm. of space. I mean, we wick it in there and see what happens. We've, we've gone past that. This is proper, proper adult football. And I applaud them for learning the lessons. And I've said it on the instant reaction. I think we've shown the league how to play Spurs because they're yeah. a team that I mean, plays from mistakes. Simple as that. So don't make any. They put you on. Yeah. Well, they, they put you under a, an interesting type of pressure. They put you under a psychological pressure that I started to feel, to be fair, after the penalty, not really before it. And what I mean by that is you always have this knowledge that the second you lose the ball, it's going up the other end. And those very talented forwards are going to be running at you. And that is a psychological pressure of sorts because there's this weird feeling. You know you're dominating, but you're aware that if you lose possession, they can make that one moment really hurt you very easily. And so psychologically, I think it requires you to be really thoughtful about keeping possession and if you're going to lose it, where you lose it, and how quickly you switch on to win it back so that you don't let them do that one move they have that they like so much. Tim, the the opening goal is is a stunner. Um, you talk about having picking the right time to find your shooting boots. But the irony is, I think Thomas Party's influence in this game is far beyond that. Now, hard to go far beyond a goal, but I know you love to say that goals are overrated. Not, I'll lean into that with you here for a minute. It's the other stuff he did in this game that really is remarkable. And it's things that we don't always get from that position, whether it's him or someone else. First of all, he was 94% passing on the day, completed 54 of his 57 passes. But among those, he had 10 final third entries, which paced us, eight progressive passes, which paced us, tied with Zinchenko, and four key passes, created four chances. Um, This was just an all-around exceptional game where he was winning the ball back, not losing it, keeping it going forward, getting it into the danger zone. And it is... It is arguably the position we have the least confidence in our alternatives 
And I think you saw in this game why his presence is so important. He just played that role about as flawlessly as you can ask for it to be played. Definitely. I think um, of all the players we had, you know, slight doubts over going into the game, I think every single one of us, if we could have picked one player, you know, you're told, okay, like Tierney, Zinchenko, even both of them left backs, if you'd been told only one of these players can be fit for this game, I don't think anyone would have missed a beat and said Thomas Partey. Um, and, and that's why just the kind of, as you say, like in a game like this, I'd expect even a central midfielder's pass completion numbers to be high because Tottenham weren't pressing. They don't, Yeah, th- that's the kind of weird thing actually. Spurs don't really try to force mistakes. They just, they literally just wait for them. <clears throat> so, so I'd expect um, like a high completion rate, but the other uh, data you illustrated there, like loads of those disguised passes, you know, final third entries, that's tough. That's tough when you've got nine players just sitting there and just being able to, you know, that lovely disguised pass he has where he like, he like angles his body out to the right as if he's going to whip it out to the right wing. And sometimes he does, and it's a great avenue um, to get the ball to Saka. And that was clearly a bit of a um, a bit of a mm. tactic. There were a couple of tactics, I think. We really... <laughs> you can see what a manager thinks of an opposition player sometimes. And in the first half, because it was mm. on my side, the amount of crossfield passes to Martinelli... That to me was a Emerson Royale is dog shit. Let's go for yep. him. Yep. But also, like to be fair, like the ball went to Saka a lot, as it always does. But I think even more this time, and I think that was even more because this guy can hold it. Like he's going to dribble into a crowded area, as we saw with the second goal. You know, Saka has a big part in in the first and second goal actually. And one time it's because he drives into the box and gets a shot. The other time, as Clive says. He's patient. He pops it back out, and and Partey's really, really key to that, to like funneling the ball out there, but then finding Odegaard, finding Gabriel Jesus when he comes deep, and yeah, he he just he controls the tempo and the rhythm of the game for Arsenal, and that's incredibly difficult to do, and that's something that you really only pick up with with games, with time, with experience. And Sambi Lukonga can maybe do that one day. Maybe he can. I mean, I bet Thomas Partey couldn't do it at 22, but that's that's incredibly difficult to do, to have that kind of that yeah. database in your head. And I just finished by saying, with the goal, I was shouting shoot when that dropped to him, all right? Because <laughs> there's something about <laughs> shot selection, and his shot selection is often absolute rubbish and he just whacks it into the stands but that time sometimes it falls for you and you just get you've got to hit that you've got to hit that and and yeah I think you can see that um that that, that they talked about perhaps cracking some of those shots from range not least because I don't think Lloris is very convincing in those situations I think Lloris is a really good like um reflex goalkeeper like that save he makes from Jesus at the end of the first half where Jesus dribbles through but I don't think he's great on long shots and to be honest the party shot I was a little bit surprised it went in just because usually like to beat a goalkeeper it's like postage stamp top bins and that was don't get me wrong it was a really good strike but at the same time 
there was I was a bit like oh oh that's gone in like I wasn't expecting that because it I, had so I, much whip on it Tim so yeah it, it, it winds and, up a little more central by the time it crosses yeah. into the back of the net but it's whipping in from the from the but post you know the, the the other thing about that tactic is first of all if if they've got nine players in their penalty area yeah that's a lot of traffic for Larice to try and see through. Yep. Um, as well as like the deflections and secondary balls and and, and everything else, but but yeah, part part it like there's just not a chance um, this game goes this well um, without Thomas Party um, playing yesterday. Yep. And and it it's it's an easy game to praise anyone. I mean, look at the stats. The number of players who had ninety plus percent passing is just outrageous. Sammy Lukonga's eighteen minutes didn't misplace any of his twenty six passes. Zinchenko and Tierney both split a game where. The uh, former had 92%. The latter had 93%. Magali Ice, 92%. Saliba, he does what Saliba does, leads us in passing, 74 attempted, 71 completed for 96% completion. We will certainly be coming on to him momentarily. Fabio Vieira made a nice little 10 minutes of 90% passing. Uh, Paz? Yeah, so, like, the one thing I got from the rewatch was Thomas Party put on a masterclass at the start of the second half. He chips a ball... Uh, in that early period of play over the top for Martinelli to run onto. And then he just works the ball from side to side. Uh, And not bog standard balls. Like there's one he swings to Saka, which puts him nicely just behind the back line. Then it comes back the other way. And then the weird thing is that Spurs don't press party at all. He actually has a pocket of space around him. Harry Kane's nearby, but they don't want to waste Harry Kane on pressing party they want to keep him free for the counter and they don't want to waste penalties yeah yeah and they don't want to waste another player from getting everybody behind the ball those are the lumps they take um and he just kills them for four minutes setting the tempo swinging it moving it from side to side creating gaps and uh takes a shot um as as Clive says go big he took it he took a shot we get the ball he had a ball recovery in there that meant we kept the possession on the other side and like I'm uh, I've a lot of time for Sambi Lakanga and on the rewatch I'm like that doesn't happen without Thomas I'm not yeah. sure there's too many players in the league who can do that do that yeah L- let's keep going because there's there's a lot here and yeah. so Paul that's that's the the first period I think one of the things though that was really in evidence in the first period is how much work Gabriel Jesus puts in to make this whole thing work because he drops deep. He nicks the ball off you. He was turning guys and running at them, you know, had one where he drops into the midfield outside of the boot flick to get around his marker. And then he's, he's away. He, he draws so much focus. He pulls so much attention away. And I think I, I appreciate his, his skill. I appreciate his, Ability, I don't think I appreciated how much he works. And in this game, especially in that early period of dominance, he's just working his ass off. And I think because there are so many good performances in this game and so many moments to talk about, it'd almost be easy to overlook Jesus. But the goal is exactly what I'm talking about. It's not a moment of sensational quality. It's a moment of sensational intent and commitment. He is faster to react than the two center backs. He gambles on the keeper giving him a chance, and he finishes a goal because he's in the right position and he's showing full commitment to going and scoring and winning us that game. I thought he was a real leader on the pitch, not just with his quality, but showing the 
This is where coming from Man City matters. We think of City as just being so talented they can't help but win. It takes a lot of effort and commitment to play that well week in, week out. And I think he's leading the group in that way as a role model for the, the amount of effort and commitment that has to be put in to play at this level every week. Yeah, uh, he like even when he's not the guy who catches the eye across a game, I think you see that everything has changed with him. Him and Martinelli, as Tim predicted before the season really got going, uh, you know, are going to spark off each other, and he's going to bring Martinelli to a new level. Martinelli was incessant. Um, I had this picture of like one of those spaghetti westerns where they bury the guys out in the desert up to their mm. necks in stand in sand. They mm. they know they're going to die. And there's this annoying fucking fly just buzzing your face incessantly. <laughs> and that's all you care about. Kill the fly. That's why uh, Royale went down his leg at the end. He's like, I got to stop this guy somehow. I got to take something out of his game. Mm-hmm. Martinelli was fantastic. Just incessant. I'm sure Klopp is going to love him next week and give him his plaudits after the game as a, and have us all getting nervous about him. He's absolutely fantastic. Martinelli or um, Gabriel Jesus is relentless. Um, The thing I spotted recently is that, weirdly, we've gone from being a team that does not dribble to being the dribble leaders of the league. Yeah, it's an interesting change. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. And look at the different looks that give you. You know, you're you're concerned that a team like this. the other teams will drop in and will be stuck with circular passing and banging in crosses. Well, no, not when those two guys and Saka are just doing something different with each ball. Um, and the three of them are, you know, they're right up there. Jesus, uh, Martinelli are off the charts with their dribbling. Um, we're just a different look, given different chances all the time. Uh, in the fr- first half, I think their block, the Spurs block was really good. In the second half, I think they were just getting worked over like a boxer in yeah. the ring with body blows, and we moved them all over the place. And we, the, like, I think we would have got stronger in this game rather than they would have got stronger. Yeah, look, ch- chasing the ball and having to be defensively organized like that for a long period of time is exhausting. We've seen ourselves have to do it in the last few seasons. It's just not a way to to win a game. Sometimes it can be the way you get through a game. I do think it's a strategy that can work with a lead, which is why I think it's so great that we took the lead. And then when they took the lead, uh, sorry, pardon me, when they equalized, we didn't sort of give it right back to them. Um, Clive, let's talk about the the penalty just for a moment. I mean, I think one of the things that I've seen some hand wringing about in this game is just the performance of Gabriel Magaliash, uh, maybe a little bit about Zinchenko. And there is no question that on the right, with White and Saliba, you have absolute dominance. And on the left, in Gabriel and Zinchenko, I think you have very good players who, who should be valued very highly, but there's maybe a little bit more vulnerability there. The interesting thing that I don't see talked about as much, there's a lot of complaints about Gabriel diving in for on Richarlison for that penalty. Shaka, who was brilliant, obviously, and scored a goal, deserves all the plaudits. I think he was man of the match. Shaka passes it right to Richarlison. It's just, it's a it's a soft touch. He doesn't get his touch right after Saliba heads it out. And it gives it to Richarlison. And from that moment, Gabriel is, is sort of on the stretch trying to get back into position. He shouldn't go to ground there, but I understand why you feel you can't let, you can't let Richarlison get the shot off. So just in that moment in general... I guess if you want to go to the larger point, do you do you see the left side of our defense as the one that's a little more vulnerable to attack? And is that... Was that on evidence in, in this moment a bit or just one of those, 
you know, sort of sloppy moments in your penalty area that can happen when you are trying to be, let's face it, as cute as we were in our own penalty box this whole game. Every time it was back there, we were doing pirouettes and <laughs> flicks and short passes. So we were we were not nervous with the ball back there, that's for sure. Yeah, every team is made up of different profiles of players, right? So I see Gabriel as a little bit like Martin Keown in the day. Somebody that's mm, very aggressive, very rash-like, super physical. He fights the the, the, other, the other team's best player. He can be a bit messy on, on occasions, but you're not going to get past him easy. He ain't giving you nothing for free. So mm-hmm. Saliba can stroll around looking serene. White can be love, like his Love Island look-alike. He can be smooth and silky. They can't do that without Gabriel in the team. Like, we can't do that without Thomas Party munching people in front. Every team needs these different profiles of players. So if you want Gabriel to be like Sleeper, we won't be balanced. We won't be balanced. You need that aggression. Think of a team as a team. There was a period, you know, it, it's, it's almost like you watch the team recover its composure. So when we, when, the, when Spurs had their 10 minutes or so, and Paul highlighted before the game, before the podcast and during the podcast, sorry, Paul, that we had a strong five minutes before halftime. And I watched this really closely, how we did it. And I remember saying to my boy, we did, we did 20 passes. And we literally passed ball 20 passes to each other. And we literally quelled them. They disappeared. And we passed our way back to composure. And we came in at halftime and we they didn't have the ball for ages. Then we came out and then we were more aggressive on top of that composure. Who was aggressive? It was Gabrielle, really being aggressive, meeting Kane much higher up. Taking them early. Don't worry about dropping off. We're going to take them in the first phase. Don't give them a chance to create second phase. We can't do that if he's not there. Right? So, if you think about Steve, he's been absolutely fantastic. And for me, just look like the best defender in the league at the moment. Um, But he's got White there, who's a centre-back right-back. So, he's got a real strong defender on that side. We roll around into a three, but we don't roll around into a three. Who's the player we ask to do one and a half jobs? It's Gabriel, right? Because the guy in front of him is merely a midfielder that's a bit tissue paper thin, right, when it comes to balls coming through him. He's there to, mm-hmm. to try to distract, to try to delay, but really we stretch Gabriel out the most. Now, people are after him, Elliot, and I, I don't particularly care, right? When we beat Spurs 3-1, jogging away, they, they, they just, just pick somebody who we'll have a go at, right? But we're not really having a go at them. We're just saying on certain occasions, they're not massively influential, but not you, don't, you never get 11 influential players. You know, I saw a good article today from Kaya about Aaron Ramsdale. I didn't talk about Aaron Ramsdale in the instant reaction. He didn't come to my didn't come to mind, but he was excellent. You know, he I didn't mention early save from a set piece. That save down low to his right early Absolutely. on when we were dominant. That was his that distribution, though. His distribution yeah, to the boys, at Martinelli, Saka. He just got us going on key critical moments. Exactly, he's that goes in, and maybe the air comes out of our balloon a little bit. Right, I look for the offside flag, by the way. What if it didn't go up? Right, yeah, so maybe, maybe. and so you know, I'll be honest with you. I thought Grant Shackle was was really good. I didn't think he was man of the match. Not in my world. No. You walk you walk away from a game with your own feelings, with your own luggage. I always say this, and it's how a player influences you on that day and how they influence what you feel is the game when you felt nervous. So when I watched us when I was looking for things I, and I looked around and I saw Gabriel biting, 
I saw Martinelli coming off the sides and really offering himself and really driving forward when Jesus got a bit injured and we lost him. It was Martinelli who carried the fight. When Spurs got a bit excited, it was Saliba that stopped them. Do you see what I mean? And so I walked away with that. You know, I walked away with those feelings. I maybe didn't see some of the other people, but I think that's all right. I'm literally talking to Discord about this right now. It's okay to walk away with whatever you want to walk away with. They're your feelings, they're your process, it's your game, it's yours. You've gone there to watch it or you're watching it at home, you're absolutely fine. It's okay that you think someone else is a bit more influential than someone else. It doesn't mean that you're starting a narrative against the other person. And we need to get away from that because that's the sort of thing that we've been defined well, for for many years. These narratives in the club that have divided us, we haven't got that crap anymore and, and it's evident on the match day for sure. No, and, and what, what a good team can do and does do and what we do is we have enough ways to hurt you and enough ability to play to where you're... So, so you create a game plan and that game plan hopefully is to leverage your best qualities, but it's also going to be to limit what the opposition wants to do to hurt you. We've developed into a team where if you limit something we do, we have the ability to do it a different way. We saw that against Brentford. Odegaard was not great in this game. He wasn't bad. He wasn't great. He had a tough time getting involved. They did a nice job making it difficult for him to do the kinds of things that he can do to run a game. And it didn't matter because by targeting that, we went around to the outsides. We soaked up, you know, we we dragged players out of position with Martinelli and Saka. I thought Saka quietly, brilliant game, right? It's his shot that leads to the Jesus goal. He has so many moves where he he's able to cut inside and drag defenders out of the way. He gets us going up the right-hand side when you know, there were times we needed to relieve pressure. Martinelli, look, I am convinced that whether you think it's a red card, a yellow card, or an orange card, it's an act of petulance from a player who's been given an absolutely brutal game by Martinelli. And it's not just that he was beating him all game. It's that he's tackling you. He's nipping at your heels. You, you've got it. He's going to win it back. He loses it. He's on top of you. He's bowling you over. He's constantly running you backwards. And it's got to be an exhausting thing to experience. And we saw it in the Palace game, I think, on the first game. Didn't he get the, the right back or the right center back, maybe, in their three a yellow card, and from that point on, he had to drop off, and we just started dominating from there. It felt like that against Royale today. But Tim, we're we're forty minutes in; it's it's too late already. We we, we should have done this one minute in and every minute there on. What we have in William Saliba is the kind of thing that just doesn't come around very often. Now we have it, Martinelli and Saka too, but like. You think about what it takes to develop center backs, to have a great center back. In Saliba, we have the kind of thing that, you know, Liverpool, when they wanted to complete their project, they had to spend monster money on a Van Dyke and look at the level it took them to. He is playing at that level right now. He looks like he he has to be in a conversation for the best center backs in the league. And it's 97% passing every game, but it's progressive passes. I said this on the instant reaction. He has this quality. He He turns players, he dribbles players, he keeps it in tight spaces. But the reason he's able to do it, and this is where he's a little different from Gabriel, he keeps the ball so close to his feet. It's such an important skill, and you see it from some of the most skillful attacking players. Because the ball is so close to his feet and he's so big and broad, it's very hard to get to the ball where he's got it. And so he uses, he keeps it in that radius of his body so that you can't get to it. And it's just that incredible soft-footedness, the ability to really wriggle out of tight spaces in a way that doesn't feel vulnerable. But I I think because he's so good on the ball, we'll miss the fact that 
He was absolutely bodying Kane every time he wanted to make those second man runs. There's one where Kane makes a second man run. He looks like he's in. Two strides from Saliba, he gets ahead of him, and Kane actually goes to ground and fouls Saliba on the ball. There's another one where Richarlison is in, and he's going to pa- pass it to Kane, and Saliba just goes shoulder to shoulder and blocks out the light, and Kane's not available anymore. I almost feel like his, his quality on the ball leads to us not necessarily appreciating the way he he transforms us defensively. I I am going to just say, please praise Saliba in whatever manner you feel <laughs> is, is, is appropriate, Tim, because we are seeing the the ascendancy of a really, really special young player. Yeah, we really are. We really are. I'm not sure any of us really expected um, this to happen not this, this quickly. This is even better than what we thought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think uh, I think there's a lot going on here, and Clive touched on a lot of it. But but essentially, what's happening is the left side of Arsenal's team is very fluid. So Zinchenko comes in, and what what Clive says about Gabriel is absolutely right. We give him quite a big space to cover. Um, and, you know, on the left, there's a lot more rotation between Xhaka, Martinelli, blah, blah, blah. Whereas on the right, it's quite stable. White, Saka, Erdegaard, they don't swap lanes as much. But I, I wrote about this. Uh, here we go. Tap the mug. mug. Mm-hmm. I wrote tap about this last week about our fullbacks. And one of the reasons I think White is getting in ahead of uh, Tomiyasu at the moment. And it's not j- it, Listen, I think it's it's partly about protecting Tomiyasu's health a little bit and letting him get back. It's partly just because Ben White's playing really well and you keep him going. But I think where, and this is where Saliba really comes in, I think kind of what's happened is Tomiyasu, when he plays at right back, he tucks in like a third centre-back. And that's really, really useful. And we saw how useful that was last season. But with Mm. White, he can step into that midfield. So it kind of... um, it inverts the pyramid a little bit. So instead of being a three and a two, it's like a two and a three. And the reason that we're able to do that is not just because White's really good at carrying the ball into that space and White is an ex-midfielder and and knows what he's doing over there. It's because Saliba's got that channel on lockdown because that's the space, right? If you want to hurt Arsenal, that's where the space is. Now, unfortunately, Manchester United did it um, at Old Trafford. But you look at like Palace tried it. Palace tried it with uh, Joachim Anderson, one of the best passing centre-backs out there, to Zaha, one of the best left-wingers out there. Didn't happen. White and Saliba had that in lockdown. And this is what Saliba's really given Arsenal, is almost like we can play with two centre-backs. You can leave me on my own in this space. And to your point, Elliot, as well, it's so good with his feet. Do you remember that um, in the first half, there was like a rare... Not panic, but a defending, but rare moment where Spurs look dangerous. He comes out with the ball and then he just takes half a second. He looks up and he just flips it over to Martinelli on the left wing when I think like it was already a really good piece of defending. He could have rolled that five yards in front of him to Erdegaard and it, he'd have got his round of applause, but he doesn't. He stops and he whips it over to Martinelli. It's like, I don't just want to make a pass. I want to make the optimum pass and I'm going to do it. And and that's another thing that's that um I mean I didn't really know very much about him, but yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. In possession, he's got that kind of he's just got that sixth sense for when to, you know, all right, I'll just nudge it out to my right back or no, I, I can I can like really whip this at the moment. And yeah, he's 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 been and continues to be an absolute revelation. It's do, funny, we do, haven't do, had do, a good do, do, hand. Do. 
Saliba! We haven't had a good hand-wringing over a player leaving us in a while because I think people feel Saka is Arsenal. He's going to be at Arsenal. I see the social media buzz starting up. We got to get him signed. He's going to leave. He's going to go to Madrid. Like he's definitely got that buzz around him. That's, that's creating that good old fashioned scared to lose him kind of quality. But I, for one, am going to try to enjoy him because he, he really is everything. He's, he's got all facets of his game. And at 21, uh, you got to think about where this might be going quickly. Clive. It won't be quick, but um, what I'm going to say is, I thought what I thought. Slowly, Clive. <laughs> <laughs> you're not pushing me around, son. Right? So what I said was, uh, basically, hey, 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 I got, I, I got uh, uh, shaving to talk about here. So let's, let's, get, <laughs> let's get on with the silly nonsense about football. Come on. Yeah. So we have T- Tim's right when he says about the three-two last year, which we needed to stabilize us with White. We needed Tommy Atty to do that. Now we're more of a two-three. But what I thought Spurs did quite cleverly was they recognised, they tried to do what, by keeping their wing-backs very high and wide, extremely wide, they tried to flatten us out right into a 4-1-2-3. That's what they wanted. Mm -hmm. And they really targeted the space next to Party. So they would, Sun or Richardson would come inside and choose which side they wanted to get next to Party and force him to make a decision, which side do I want to go to stop the attack before it gets to our back four? And so I thought that was really cute. And I said at halftime, I want Ishaka just to be a bit more aware, to contract a little bit quicker to stop them because they party was a bit alone and he could be seen a little bit slow getting back on occasions because he's been asked to do a lot of work. And they'd stretched us out, right, a little bit, not not continuously. What did we do to get hold of it, to change it? We just kept the ball. We kept the ball. But if you're yeah. looking at a future weakness of us, People are thinking it's behind our fullbacks in the in the space alongside Sleeper and Gabriel. I actually think the weakness is next to party or next to that central six. Manchester United showed it. They got away. They got better. Party killed them yesterday. But for the only period we lost it is when they got control around that area. But that's the area. So our ability to contract, you know, next to party, make that V a little bit flatter, so we take that space away. It's really important, particularly if teams are pinning us back with their wing-backs or full-backs. But we overcame it by keeping the football. You know, so just projecting forward a potential weakness for us, really, that's all. Fair enough. Yeah, I I think... I want to get to how Mikel Arteta outcoached Conte here, although I think he just out-systemed him. And there's a couple other big moments I want to talk about and big performances worth getting to. But, look, every once in a while, Manscaped sends me new copy. And I don't read it. I know enough about the products to tell you about them. I use the products. I mean, you got to see some of the work that goes into this though. You really should. I mean, don't wait till your trouser devils are more disorganized than Manchester United. This season, bring your below the waist to the top of the table with Manscaped. Use the lawnmower 4.0 to show off your Modric level ball skills and ensure you, your member will look a good. It's not even in the Premier League. But, well, I guess it doesn't have to be in the Premier League. Man City may have won the cup, but your Man City will be champions this year when you go to manscaped.com and enter Arsenal Vision for 20% off free delivery. I mean, the only thing they're missing, <clears throat> guys, make sure the Lawnmower 4.0 is in your arsenal. <sighs> Come on. That one's way too easy, and I don't know how they missed it. But it is the finest purpose-built grooming tool on the planet. I use it. I used it recently. If you want to know more about that, please feel free to reach out. Uh, wet, dry has the uh, ceramic blades with the skin-safe technology designed to work on loose skin. The fact of the matter is, we all groom. We do it. We don't talk about it. I mean, I talk about it nonstop, constantly, obviously. 
But it's really as simple as do you want to use an old razor that's been sitting in your shower forever? Do you want to use something designed to do it that's going to have a long battery life? I, I honestly have not put my lawnmower 4.0 in the induction charger in probably three months. The thing just goes and goes and goes. It's even got a light on it so you can see what you're doing. They've got the uh, weed whacker with the ears and nose hair trimmer, which I do use. They have tonics. They have lotions. They have colognes. Just go to manscaped.com. Use promo code Arsenal Vision. Get 20% off free shipping. That's manscaped.com. Promo code Arsenal Vision. 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Get it in your arsenal, for God's sakes. Now, uh, there's, there's a lot of things that we can talk about. One of the ones that I want to talk about is the um, Athletic Greens. So, you know, I've been using this for a long time now, and I, ju I just have to say my life has changed recently. I've had a lot of changes in my life, into my routine, and so I'm getting up earlier than I used to. I do drink a lot of coffee, but I have to say that I didn't want to be drinking too much coffee for energy, for digestion, for gut health, for focus. Athletic Greens has been fantastic for me. I took a whole shelf full of gummy stuff that I was taking and just used this. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens just targets a lot of the key areas of need that many of us have, whether it is um, energy, digestion, focus, or just simplifying your vitamin routine. It is lifestyle friendly. So if you're keto, paleo, vegan, daily free, gluten-free, no problem, less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, chemicals, artificial anything, just tastes good. It really does. Just put it in water. And oh, by the way, then you're getting some water, which you need. Costs less than expensive coffee, over 7,000 five-star reviews, um, and a, a company with real uh, philanthropic instincts, uh, instincts, not the word I'm looking for there, but they, uh, donated over 1.2 million meals to kids through their no kid hungry program. So right now it's time to reclaim your health, make it easy. Athletic greens is going to give you free one year supply of the immune supporting vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash vision. That's athleticgreens.com slash vision to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Now, what would an ad break be if I didn't tell you about the best way to improve your business by using the one hiring partner that lets you attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours. Don't do not. Don't you dare spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills. Don't do that when you can do it all with Indeed. I want to talk to you right now about virtual interviews. Virtual interviews is a feature that takes advantage of this whole virtual work thing that we're doing. Why should you have to go into an office to interview when you're not going to go into the office to work? It doesn't make any sense. Not for them. Not for you. Don't jump through hoops. Don't do silly stuff. With virtual interviews, it saves you time. You can message. You can schedule. You can interview top town all in one place. Makes it easy to connect with your applicants. No need to install anything extra. It works right from your browser. My goodness, why would you do this any other way? After using Indeed's virtual interviews, most employers said it saved them days of hiring time. Join the three over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applicants from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash vision to start hiring now. Go to Indeed.com slash vision. Indeed.com slash vision. Terms reduced supply cost per African not developed for one You need to go! Is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. Paul, mm -hmm. when you need to win a football game, you need better tactics. When you want to do that, you want to call Mikel Arteta because Antonio Conte ain't got shit for you, buddy. I think this game was a little bit in the balance at halftime, candidly. I thought the period from the penalty to halftime, I know you said we look good going into halftime, but overall I thought that was the period where they they were having some joy. And I, I think the reason they were having some joy, by the way, I think that was the period we were sloppiest about where we lost the ball. One thing I want to point out about Saka and Martinelli, 
they were carrying the ball centrally a lot. The, the reason I said this was a 7 out of 10, not a 10 out of 10, the passes weren't necessarily popping to their spot as fast as they could. We took an extra dribble. Saka would cut inside, then cut inside again, then cut inside again. There were times he lost the ball in a central space. There were times Martinelli lost the ball in central space. The one thing you can't do against a counterattacking team that's packed deep and ready to run in behind your fullbacks is lose it in central areas. And we did that a bit leading into halftime, and that's where I think we got a little bit exposed. Zinchenko maybe had too much space to cover to close down on the press. There were some times when our press didn't trigger quite right, and they they did do a decent job of trying to exploit that. But coming out of halftime, we stepped on their throat. The game was ours from that moment, and I think Arteta showed whatever he did, showed him a little video, made some tweaks, made some adjustments, but whatever it is, Conte's t- side came out after halftime looking just as meek as they did from the start of the game. We look just as dominant, and I think it's just a classic example of not only our style being better, but our coach being better at halftime, using that moment to just get his team refocused on what we had to do to get back on top. Uh, yeah. Look, screw it. Let's let's disagree on something. So I think— I love, this, I love that. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I think Good old fashioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Throwback days. This is how we got yeah. started. Yeah. Um, <laughs> look, the seven out of 10 thing, like I get it. On the other hand, that's what Conte does, right? You're not getting a nine out of 10 against Conte. Like they didn't do that much apart from when they did. And that meant like, as I talked about in the instant reaction, I was kind of gobsmacked at times, especially in the first half, how solid, how impermeable that low block was. There were one or two crosses we put in that that teased you how you could beat it. Um, there was, of course, the uh, Thomas Party Thunder Bastard from just outside the box. But, like, they just give you no daylight. That's why they don't need to press Thomas Party. That's why they don't need to do a lot of things. They're just going to wait till you try too hard and cough up the ball. Um, I'll be quite interested to get... Um, Clive's view a little bit on the because you and I talked about this Saka dribbling into midfield which he did a few times on the other hand it's because the first guy comes from uh, for him he goes around him the second guy comes out the third guy before he knows it he's in midfield but you can't just keep banging in crosses or recycling the ball in a semicircle I was totally fine with it I think uh, I can't. I went back and looked at it. I think he did it like three times in the first half. He really only coughed the ball up once, but Zinchenko coughed it up twice after Saka passed to him. I don't think it was maybe maybe it was Saka dropping him in a little bit, but I don't think it really was. Um, so I like the guys dribbling. I like them moving the ball around. Not <clears throat> like you pass the ball, you move it. That's how you beat them. But sometimes you don't do that because otherwise they set, they sit in. Conte is way too comfortable with you swinging the ball from side to side and switches. That's what they prep for. Um, You know, they got five of the back they can stretch across. You can't just keep swinging it from side to side or banging in crosses. Like, this is a very, very tall team who can defend crosses. Um, Mm. So you got to mix it up a bit. Um, Tactically... I just think the difference in the second half was we finished the strong, the first half strong for five minutes and we came out and I think they were beginning to tire with us moving it around. Martinelli, party swinging it from side to side. I think we passed it from side to side quicker, but I also think there were starting to be more gaps to get into in that block and it was starting to wear them down quickly, even though it was early in the second half. I'm sure we did a couple of things. Uh, but 
I think it was more of the same, better, faster, smarter. But mm. that was my take. No, that that that's fair. I mean, we could certainly see it a little differently. Um, Tim, do you have any do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, just in terms of the way we came out of halftime and got back on top of it, and and maybe what the difference was with the period. And I'm not again. I'm not trying to say Spurs were bossing it. I'm just saying they were in it a little. Are there were some counters that looked like they were starting to find paths out. Sun dropping in, distributing to Richarlison, or you know, Hoiberg. I think set them off running a few times and we handled it, but that was the period, the only period of the game where I felt that they were getting some joy doing that. So do you have a sense of why that was in that time and, and what adjustments we made that, that altered that? If yeah, I, I think there's um, I think there's a couple of things. So I literally just typed this in the chat, so I might as well say it. You know, before the game, and we previewed this game a lot. We previewed the arse off of this game for two weeks. <laughs> we talked what else about, are we going to talk about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we talked about like some of those maybe those soft factors going in our favour, like our three Brazilians not going away, and Richarlison mm-hmm. went away with Brazil. To be fair, had a good time, scored a couple of goals, but. Um, and and but I think one of the other and so you know maybe we were more rested. Ben White didn't go away, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We negotiated, yeah. I think, to get Tommy Asu and Party back, and I think that was easy to do because those two teams are in the World Cup, and like the fitness of those players is in their interests as well. Norway are not going to the World Cup, and they played Erdegaard. I bet if Norway were, I bet we'd have been able to come to a, a similar arrangement. But generally, the the international break kind of worked for us in this. But also, I think for Spurs, one of the things that I think will become apparent is that Son, Kane and Richarlison together doesn't really work. I think that's something mm-hmm. that's going to... I think Richarlison is a really good signing because he can deputy for both of those players, potentially. But the three of them together don't work because like, particularly Son and Richarlison are too similar. And what we saw was Spurs actually... And, and match of the day, uh, Alan Shearer picked up on this. He picked up on quite a few times where Spurs did have space on the break. Mm-hmm. But it was Son trying to pass to Kane and he kept fucking it up. And in fact... The goal, um, Sun massively overhits a really, really, uh, sorry, the Spurs goal. Like, Sun just has to put Richarlison through one-on-one and he massively overcooks it. And unfortunately, mm. they get the penalty from there. But basically, and, and here's the other thing, Sun was dropped for that Newcastle game just before the international break. He was dropped because he's not playing well. Now, the reason that's not really talked about is because he came on and scored a hat-trick. But <laughs> one of the reasons I think Son is getting dropped is because technically he's a very average player. His his technical fundamentals are not great. What he's great at is all in the penalty area. But he's not yeah. really like a guy you want playing passes to Harry Kane. You want that the other way around. You want Harry Kane playing playing the ball to Son, not the other way yep. around. And so I think there's something brewing here like you don't drop a player like Sun because basically Sun started the season very poorly before that hat trick, and I think this was a continuation of that. And who they really missed was Kulisevsky because Kulisevsky is like the technical glue of that front three, and he can go up and down, and he can keep the ball, and he can travel with it. Sun, Kane, and Rashad. Well, to be fair, Kane is an excellent playmaker, but Sun and Richarlison together—that's not a good mix because they're too similar and they're not 
they're not guys you want to give the ball in build-up. So I think that worked for us. I think it could have been a really different game with Kulisevsky. I think he's a very, very key player for them. And I don't think the balance of Sun Kane and Richarlison works. And I think we saw that in this game. Because to be fair, particularly in the first half, they did pick up the sort of positions, the sort of situations that they would have been training for, but they lost it technically. And I think in the second half, I imagine, like I didn't get the impression that Arsenal came out for the second half like a million miles an hour. I, you know, I'm guessing, but I reckon the team talk would have been just something like, guys, just keep doing this. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, maybe pick the intensity up one or 2%. But you've bossed this half. They've been in the area once, and fair enough, we fucked up. But uh, just look at um, the. I think Sun Kane had one touch in the penalty area, other than mm. the penalty. Sun had like two or three. Gabriel yeah. Jesus, I think, was in double figures for touches in the penalty area. And when you're doing that, I really think that the team talk would have just been look more of the same, guys. More of the same. And I do think that, to, to Paul's point, we wore them down, um, yeah. to be fair. Yeah, and and ultimately, this is this is why playing this way makes sense. Guys, if this was a year ago, or two, not a year ago maybe, but maybe two years ago, we'd be talking about, remember the one-two Martinelli played with Jesus and he was in, but he couldn't quite collect it, or, oh, Martinelli hit the bar. Remember when Saka played Shaka in, but he couldn't control it, or there was the one where... Uh, oh, Jesus, was was that a pen? Should we have been given a pen? No one's even talking about it. Now, part of the reason is because we won. But the point is we, we scored three goals despite the Jesus time when he's in and can't control it, the Martinelli time when he's in and hits the post, the Shaka time when he's in and can't collect it. So, I, I mean, there's just, there's all of these moments, but when you play as well as we are playing right now, you don't have to be so laser focused. I'm sure there are Spurs fans sitting around today talking about well, they're probably going because they can't, you know, speak uh, articulately. Like, uh, you know what? I should stop because Clive has a, literally a brother who who apparently is is one of those people. So I, I don't want to get too personal here. But but the the point is that like they're probably saying, oh, remember that one counter we had where if he had just played the ball because that's their football. It's such narrow margins, and thankfully we're not in that point anymore. Clive, there is a a mentality discussion to be had here just in the sense that I think to believe that you're a great team you got to win a few big games and see that your football will deliver you where you want to go and see that you have it in you we owed them one for what happened in the reverse fixture and we'd owed ourselves one I think based on the United game where I think we outplayed them but didn't get the result to show that it's not just that we play great football against mediocre teams to be fair Spurs are a mediocre team, but you take my point. Do do you see what I'm saying, Clive? That I I think to really become great, there have to be a few moments where you see you are great and and you see you're able to go into a challenging situation and come out victorious. I I do think that doing that in this game is going to really, really help us against Liverpool next weekend and help us in the season generally. We needed this win to confirm to ourselves what we think we might be, essentially. I think the way a lots of teams are judged today are they're judged by the strength of their managers. And so there seems to be a thing with Conte that he's he's great. And because he's so great, he gives Spurs another 30-40%. Right? So for me this win was very important because it was Arteta directly up against Conte 
and he was able to apply his game, put a psychological and technical and physical stranglehold over the game for 90% of it. Every piece of data points our way. There's nothing to see here for them, nothing at all. If we had just cleared the ball in that situation, they wouldn't have got a penalty. I don't think they scored the whole game. You know, so mm. so the way we've played, the way we've overcome him, I think is important for our perception externally that we can, you know, we're not just a plucky young team with the youngest manager in the league. I think it's very important that we could apply ourselves in this way in this game and win this way our way. You know, this is very important. If Conti had stole this game, or even stolen the point, the aura around him would just grow and grow and grow. That's why before the game, Elliot, what was annoying me and then annoying you is that we were in fifth gear and we couldn't get any better. Spurs were one point behind us, but they were just going to get better. Well, why are they going to get better? And what's, why, what's that confidence come from? It comes from the manager. People see his record in other countries. And they think, well, he, they're just going to do it. They haven't looked at these games. They haven't watched all these games. They haven't watched the first half versus Marseille where they were getting killed until the guys got sent off. They haven't watched the Leicester game properly where Leicester were all over them. They're bottom of the league until it sort of broke away from them towards the later stage of the game. They haven't watched these games properly where, they've been, where Spurs have been dominated for large periods. Large periods. And I thought, well, we're better than these teams. So we should, hopefully we should execute. I can see the fear factor. I feel it myself. But I don't think they're that good. You know, and I'm not sure he's that good. And I'll tell you why. Because the system it plays and the patterns he plays can be analysed. They can be looked at and analysed. Some of the things that we do in the top end of the pitch, once we get there, they're totally individual. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, some of the patterns in Martin Elliott's offside, I, I recognise. Some of the things Saka does, I recognise. The way we get the pods going, the rotation, I recognise. But when it comes down to it, our individual ability of these players is significantly higher than theirs. Significantly higher. Big, yeah. booming shocks and execution in the last third. They've got great finishes, no doubt about it. Son outside the box, left foot, right foot. is top class. And we all know what Kane is. You take the penalties away. Okay, he, he knows how to score the set-piece penalty, right? So... But I do feel it's very important that we, we broke that sort of psychological narrative with Arteta being called a young, inexperienced manager that just moans about decisions. That needs to be broken. It's important that his stock rises because we're going to be playing against our Conti team for a while and they're going to be a key competitor for us. So his, Arteta's stock has risen from how he approached this game, how he applied his te- these tactics, and I think Conti's a little bit smaller today. And I think it's I, important I think we, press really the, point. we press the pedal on and, this now. We really do. We really and must. And I want to call something out that he did. Yeah, no, no, I think you're right. Because and, and, I think he did something really, really cowardly. Really cowardly. They were getting beat in the second half. They weren't going to come back into that game. Great they get the red point. card. Great point. And he takes all his good players off. Look, oh, I got a red card I didn't deserve. I, You know, th- this game's been taken from us. Now we have to rest up for Champions League. If you're beating Great us, point. it's because we're letting you beat, right? Right, Clive? I mean, he... And that's he, the lesson, the psychological the impact. Mm-hmm. The lesson, the yep. psychological impact. Because he knew this was damaging. The way it was done. I did speak to my brother today, and he said, from start to finish, you dominated us. <laughs> He rang me, by the way. Fair play to him. He from start to from start to finish, you dominated us. I never felt we'd win for one second. 
that's the truth from his side of things, right? So this is a big psychological impact. And Conte is a great boy, Elio. <laughs> he tried to lessen it. He tried to lessen it by creating a narrative around the game which allowed him to retain his aura. The thing about guys like him that have that type of aura, much like Mike Tyson when he got beat by Buster Douglas, once it's broken, it's broken. Do you see what I mean? It's broken Mm -hmm. and it's done. And that's why he'll move on. I can see Tim typing because he must agree with me. (laughs) That's why he'll move on. He'll move on. As soon as you break the aura and the stranglehold, those guys are not going to do you know, 1,500 laps of the pitch before a game. They're not going to do that for him anymore. They're not going to run around until they're sick. That aura will go and the players will say, nah, I'm not having it. I'm not enjoying my game. I'm not playing the football I want to play. I'm not going to stand here and run up and down like an idiot for you. Look at Son's face trying to track Saka for the whole game yesterday. Do you think he wants to do that? No chance. No. He must be banging in shots. He was like an auxiliary left back yesterday, and Saka turning him like, like he's on a spit, right? Mm-hmm. So that's <laughs> not what they're going to want to do for much longer. And so they drop away a few points. You watch. You watch what happens in that dressing room. Trust me. They're not kids, those Spurs boys. They're 29 average age. They've done a few laps. They won't take it for long if I don't see the promised land ahead of them. Trust me on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think you're right, Clive. Um, like it, it is important to like, cause I, if I go on Spurs Twitter now, which is kind of like going into Mordor, but sometimes you got to do it. You know, if you want to throw the ring into, into the fires of Mount doom, um, you see them saying like, ah, oh, this football's crap. Our football stinks. And they were saying that earlier in the season. Then they, they got a few results doing it. But you know, if that hair pull against Chelsea is called a penalty, they deservedly lose that game. They deservedly lose this game. You know, it, it, it it's fine margins that they're playing at, and it's real ugly, and the players aren't going to want to play that way. And I did I did think it was interesting that he waved the white flag down to 10 men. Because you know what's interesting, Tim? I've seen Arsenal play against 10 men poorly before. There is no... When you're a counterattacking team, losing a man isn't really anything. It isn't. You're still going to sit combat, compact and try to counter. You're not trying to have the ball, so you're not losing anything from your possession game. It shouldn't really be that impactful for them, right? Their, their game plan doesn't have to change. But they were not a factor in this game after that point. And I think it is a testament to our, our mindset and our talent and our quality that they basically waved the white flag in that moment. That is the kind of thing City has been doing to teams, right? Um, so, I, I mean, I'm curious how you look at what I thought was sort of a petulant selfish reaction from Conte to going down to 10 men that basically said to his players, this is about me, not you anymore. And the fact that we had the ability to not just try to get it over the line now, up up a man, but to really just take the game to them and, and Shaka's goal puts it away. Yeah, totally. I think, I think Clive's got it exactly right there. And yes, that is exactly what I typed into the, into the chat. This is why the players tap out. This is why Conte, you know, is a scorched earth manager. Um, he doesn't stick around for long. Look at Chelsea first season. Look at Chelsea second season uh, when they're defending the league and they finish fifth and they win the FA Cup. And Willian's putting pictures on Instagram with like, you know, stupid faces like on Conte and then blaming it on, on his kids and stuff like that. Like there was just a big, big fallout with lots of players. And it's because Conte's whole shtick, right, is my players are all rubbish. I need loads of new players and. You know, you can maybe do that for one year when you're one of the guys left. Oh, he must like me. But yeah, when he does stuff like this, it's like, oh, 
Jesus. Like, and and look, you could say I, I was thinking, like during the game, um, I wonder if we'll see this a fair bit during October, just because there are so many games. I do wonder if we'll see more like called games. Um, you know, more just kind yeah. of, do you know what? We've got another six games in the next three weeks. I, I see your point, yeah. We're 3-1 yeah. down. Fuck this, it's gone. But this, was, this, this wasn't this was that. This was dramatic. This was four players at once, right? You never see that. You never see four subs in one go. That is an absolute, like, I completely understand why he might have made one, even two. Maybe done like a like-for-like change positionally, but, you know, a slightly more defensive player or whatever or th- this was not that this was this was a statement like when you bring four players on and they're basically all defenders and you take everyone else off you take son off you take Richarlison off i mean you're calling it and you're not just calling it you want everyone to know you're calling it and uh, like like clive i i felt that like the 4-4 from 2008 might inoculate me for life from doing this. <laughs> but it was one of those games, right, where there were like 15 minutes to go and I was like, there's still 15 minutes. Like this feels like the 89th minute. Do you know what I mean? Like the last I 20 minutes. I wanted more time so we yeah. could get to 4-1. Yeah. So we get to five. Yeah. It was like, it, it, I have to tell you, Tim, you're spot on. Like most of the time I'd just be like, how is time moving so slowly? Just get to full time. Yeah. And I found myself being like, I wish there was more time so we could really humiliate them. Yeah, yeah. But even like, because it was such a dead game, it was just like, wow, this, it's only the 75th minute. I thought it was like the 87th or something. And 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 like me and uh, my mate John, his, his first game back since COVID, uh, which was really nice actually, sat next to me. We were just like, he's called this. Like this, like essentially both teams have called it really. Like mm. Tottenham have gone, yeah. we give up. And Arsenal have gone, okay. We'll stroke the ball around for twenty minutes. <laughs> like we we got we've got places to be as well this month. We've got a busy schedule, and you know we were able to take party off to take Zinchenko off, and you know get some of those guys out, and uh, and and yeah, like just really take the take the air out of the balloon, really. But definitely, and and, and I do. I think it's a compliment to us as well. Like I can't remember who it was who said something about teams giving us a bit more respect. I know there was like, we talked about this after Brentford with all the nice things Thomas Frank was saying about us and about us being like uh, title challengers and all that. You do sense that the talk about Arsenal is different. And I'd say that in the media as well. I would like I do. I have seen a lot of kind of, yeah, Arsenal look much better. And I've seen like articles pulling up the data and all of that. And obviously the, the managers definitely see that. And I do think it is like, cause even like a couple of years ago, Elliot, even down to 10 men and two goals down to Arsenal, you'd, you'd still go for it in, in, unless you were like bottom of the league or something. Like if yep. you're Spurs, you'd still go for that. You'd still yeah. go, well, Mustafi might do something stupid or, you know, the goalkeeper <laughs> might throw it in for us or they'll do something really panicky and give away a free kick. But like Conte would basically ruled out the idea that we would beat ourselves. Um, and that, mm, yep. that is a big milestone for this team. I, I think it is. And I, I just think, to, to Clive's point, there's going to be a lot of soul searching in Spurs world right now. And that's exactly how you want to leave them after a derby. No question. Um you could argue that maybe just maybe we were handed something by the... I've, I've looked at the last derby away as the refs 
costing us something because of the penalty. The red card was red card. I don't think the penalty was a penalty, but I look at it like we never got to see how that game could have played out. But because we never did, I don't think we did as much soul searching or I didn't have that because I was like, well, what are you going to do? Down a goal, down a man. Spurs are doing some soul searching today despite the red card because they, their football was just second best all game long and it, it didn't doesn't give them anything to latch on to to say, well, this is where we're going. Paul, you want to add to, to Tim's point? Yeah, just quickly on the whole managers and maybe the shift in uh, capabilities of the team. One of the things I wanted to see in this game was a shift in our mentality, the kind of the conversation around expected shithousery and expected <laughs> savvy. And like we, our football's good enough now that it allows these players to be patient. I think that's the tactical switch at the start of the second half is the manager saying, be patient. Don't don't sit back. Don't don't take your foot off the gas. But you don't need to do anything crazy here. Be patient. You'll win this. And mentality-wise, uh, when you have players like Saliba, White, uh, those guys, party in midfield, mm. um, you see a much calmer Chaka. Uh, on the pitch, there's just a sense that we know how to do this. They're the guys who lost their shit. They weren't able to shithouse us. Uh, they were trying to mix it up. They were trying to get at us in ways because the football couldn't. And like we're just putting ourselves in a position where teams are going to respect us, not just for the football, but for the fact that we can't be rolled, turned, got at, undermined. Nobody was about to lose their shit or for maybe Gabrielle at a few hot under the collar moments. Like, yeah, uh, that's probably. Yeah, he and Richarlison were, were at boiling point a couple of times, but it's yeah. a derby. I mean, what do you want to do? Have everybody patting each other on the back? Like, I, yeah. y- you need that. Yeah. And after Martinelli humiliated Richarlison, uh, after the, you know, the red card, Richarlison was having to get back and play uh, kind of wing back, full back. And like, there's a lot of, lot of needle going on there, but those were the guys whose veins were popping. Um, this is a good place mentally that we need to build on. We're a very young team, but there's some some experience in there now, and they've got to grow into their new pair of shorts. Um, we're a serious team. We need to bring the savvy, the shithousery. Those guys are slowly stepping up into being men uh, in the Premier mm-hmm. League. Let me ask you, as, as you look at some takeaways from this game, Clive, so firstly, I would have accepted the subs coming a little earlier. <laughs> that was the only nervous thing that was happening to me is I'm, I wanted Jesus off because all I could see was some Spurs see you next Tuesday getting him a, a soft yellow card and he misses the Liverpool game. But as it turns out, the subs come off. Everything's fine. We get a couple of nice cameos here and there. The 100% passing from Sambi Lakanga as we did what Mikel has talked about in the past, 100,000 passes and just killed the game off. In in terms of, you know, when teams go on a title run, and I'm not saying that's going to happen because you just look at City and it's, it's really hard to see anyone finishing above City with what they've got going. But you start to see these stats accumulated and all over the pitch we got players like William Saliba has won the ball more times than any other player in the Premier League, right? You look at the stats around Jesus and some of our dribbling and we're just starting to accumulate the kind of data that backs up our position in the table. It's not just, oh, we've had a soft schedule, so we're top. We've had an okay schedule, yeah. We're top, and our data says we're deservedly top. And I think that is that is really important because it confirms what we're seeing. But, Clive, in terms of looking forward to, to the next game, 
Is there anything that you'd consider doing differently? I think some people would say maybe these big games are games for Tierney over Zinchenko, but you can't look at how we controlled the ball and dominated final third access without looking at Zinchenko being among our most progressive passers, having among our most final third entries, and what he does with the ball in that position. So where do you come down on on looking ahead to Liverpool and whether there's any tweaks you'd make from what we did against Spurs, acknowledging that Liverpool are going to do the opposite. They're going to try to press us. They're going to try to have the ball against us. They are not going to play this passively. Yeah, <clears throat> we all have our preferences on certain players, you know, and um, there were periods yesterday when I saw us in a flat back four thinking this isn't an inverted fullback day. You know, and then we have, then we have four hundred passes. And I'm thinking, oh, inverted fullbacks look quite good right now. Do you know what I mean? Because they're looking after the ball, yeah. and so games change. It suits certain players in in certain periods. I thought Saka for a period in the first half was excellent. At the start of the game, I thought, can you run in behind, mate? And he didn't. But then he got on top of the ball after, we, and he was really, really good. Got us fired up. Other guys had a period in the last part of the game before he came off where he was better than he was in the first part of the game. People just have moments in the game. I think we've got to get used to that. I said I said this yesterday, I think with this compressed schedule, we're going to have to get used to players playing in spurts and maybe resting during the game, resting with the ball. Um, this is why efficiency in front of goal is excellent. That, that Jesus goal, we don't score that goal last year. We just don't get that second goal. We're like nervous for longer. We we might get the third goal. That might you know the Shaka goal. We can see that move, and that we can see that move appearing. That zigzag move where you cut against the grain, cut back against it, go through the gap and, and finish. That's a that's a goal we might score. That second goal we don't score that goal. Yeah, we, we have nobody interested in in the dirty six yard tapping, right? So so yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna have to be broaden our thought process around how we analyse these games over the next few days or weeks because we're going to be playing three times in eight days continuously. And that's going to bring out different people. We don't know if they're carrying a hamstring or carrying a calf. We don't know if they're sick, but they're going to have to play. We don't know if they're going to only do half a game. You know, Sambi came on, did fine yesterday. I sometimes wish he'd just pass the ball a little bit harder, mate. Can you just a little bit harder? <laughs> because yeah. you got all the moves. Um, just a little bit harder, because what you do is you make people think you're vulnerable. If you just snap it in there and wrap it in, trust their touch, it's all good. Don't worry, they'll look after it for you. Just snap it in, get after it. If you can just give me that little 5% more, I think it would send such a great message to everybody else. I really want to see Marquinhos, didn't see him. Vieira, no problems with him. He plays our football. Just let them go, right? Just let them go. Share the games. Just keep the minutes ticking over. Share the games. Do a Spurs fight something, but, you know, only when it's really, when we're ahead of Bodo Glimp, for example, hopefully we'll be ahead and we can do that sort of thing. Just JJ's do some minutes towards the end of the game. Why not? Just keep them ticking over as a group. I think that's the most important thing. And then come Sunday... Decide who you want to play. If you want to have an argument, whether it's Tierney or Zinchenko or Tommy Asher or White, that's not a bad argument to have, is it? We just we just have the argument because they're all excellent players, right? So it's no problem. Mm. You know, we haven't really talked about it, Tim. The the last goal, the third goal, Shaka finishes it beautifully. But I think it's all about how we play now because Party takes it from midfield and plays a really clever disguise pass into Martinelli, who's making an interior run. And instead of Shaka trying to clear out and drop in, you know, drop deep to give Martinelli a, a wall pass or something, he tries to go fill the space that Martinelli has exited, which means, you know, he 
He gets lucky, but he earns that luck with his movement and the finish is clean. I love that goal. I think there's a lot of little bits of thoughtfulness in it. The run Martinelli makes, the the um uh the the I guess the the in the interior pass part uh, party makes to uh, give it to Martinelli and then and then Shaka finishing. So how do you like that as a, as a final goal and just the the way Shaka has gone up even another level now of realizing that it's not enough just to be an eight. An eight has to be a final ball player, and he's just a player who seems to be like, okay, that's what you need me to add, boss. I'll add it. Here you go. You know. Yeah, definitely. You could see a lot of the kind of left side rotation in it, but also sometimes when goals like this are scored. I really like looking at the defence and where the defence are. And like Eric Dyer, <laughs> during that move, everyone likes laughing at Eric Dyer. He goes this side, and then he goes this side, and then he goes this side again. And by the time the ball goes in, he's he's just got twisted blood. And you can see, like you can see him having a go at people. Like there's that like long shot, and like Eric Dyer shouting the odds at everyone because he's just been pulled backwards and forwards by the movement. Now again, they're down to ten at this point, so that's obviously exacerbated, but. That kind of <clears throat> that shows you like the impact of the rotating positions all the time and the kind of who am I meant to be marking here, Martinelli or Xhaka? But also, I, I think like what happens on the right is really important. It is more stable positionally, but what Saka and Erdegaard are able to do because they're so good, because you can give them the ball with three players on them, you can keep them in the same place. Like everyone knows that the ball's going to Saka. And he's got three men waiting for him, but he can handle it. And that's that's why like, we don't really need or want him and Erdegaard rotating. It's just like, everyone knows we're here, but we'll take the ball with three players. And meanwhile, that space over there, you guys like run around a little bit. And that that's what happens with this goal. And and again, from where I was, like I think sometimes you get a sense for how the pattern of how your team plays really, really starts to get embedded on your mind because I saw it two moves ahead. Like when Martinelli went infield, I was like, I think someone's going to come up on the outside. Yep, here he is, Xhaka. And it's just one of those lovely goals where a second or two before it actually goes in, you're like, I know what's happening here. That's going to Xhaka. He's going to touch it out with his instep and he's going to blast it across Lloris with his left foot. And it's just one of those where your brain starts to like fit things together before they even happen. And that's, again, that's, that's, that's a, I guess a compliment to the way the team's playing um, in terms of like, it feels like a recognizable Arsenal goal, but not a defining Arsenal goal. It's not that kind of thing we had a couple of years ago where, yeah, we whip the ball out to a Bamiang on the left and <laughs> he scores from 20 yards. Cause you can only do that four or five times a season. This felt recognizable, but not, definitive and like teams must talk about Xhaka everyone's talking about it now it's not just like nerds like us who watch every minute of every game (laughs) three or four times like it's in the wider consensus like people are talking about this they were talking about it on like the Totally Football Show a couple of weeks ago The Athletic did a whole podcast on it last week on like Xhaka's new position so they're all talking about it they must be talking about like when Xhaka makes these runs but at the moment, still not able to stop it. And like you say, we're not talking about like a genius attacking player. At least that's that's not how we've ever thought of him before. So again, it just shows you like the importance of what happens 
all across that front line. And on this occasion, Xhaka, it's really weird for Xhaka to be like getting the plaudits for something that happens at the end of a move when for years it's been like, well, you know, Xhaka does really well to pick the ball up 60 yards back there and spin it out wide. <laughs> now it's like, yeah. now it's like, yeah, Xhaka gets the plaudits because he finishes it, but there's so much else happening in that little network. And, and yeah, and <clears throat> I'm, I'm really pleased for him as well. Straight after the final whistle, they played uh, glad all over, which is mm. the, the tune of the Xhaka chant. And, you know, they did the thing where they dipped the sound for the granite yep. Jack a bit, yep, and and just like just lovely moment um, for him, and 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 a, and a really deserved one. As much as I think there was so much that went into that goal, you know, I I I think we're all like happy for Jacker to, you know, to have come full circle and and get this kind of credit. I have to laugh because going into the season, when you talk about organic improvement, one of the arguments you make for why we'd get better, you'd be like, well, Martinelli's young, he's going to get better. Saliba's young, he's going to get better. Kasak is young, he's going to get better. Odegaard, and so on and so forth, all through the squad. What you don't expect to be like is, we're going to get serious organic improvement from our 30-year-old, you know, deep-lying playmaker midfielder who's suddenly going to be a goal-scoring and assist machine. And that's exactly what we've gotten. And it's it has made a huge difference. And it's crazy how nobody's talking anymore about Kavier come in and take Shaka's left eight position. Should we have gone for that in the summer? And, you know, look, it's a long season and narratives will change. But right now, he's doing everything he needs to. As a final, final point here, Paul, we now, I, I did my whole prove it speech. We're 50% of the way through the prove it calculation, right? Is the music about completion. to start? Is it about to it's swell? Not, it's no, not. Okay. I don't think there's going to be a weirder setup for a game this season than what we have with Liverpool. They have been averaging almost 70% possession in some games. 70. They want the ball. Their defense is vulnerable because they're going to, what we do, they really do. They're going to get the ball. They're going to push people up. Trent is going to be in the attacking third. They are not, this is not a team you can take lightly because they're going to score goals. They're going to create chances. There's not one chance we get out of that game without them hurting our defense, testing our defense. And yet we want to do what they want to do. We want to have the ball and push them back. I have no idea which who will be able to to force the issue. I have no idea who will be able to impose their stated goal. There's a part of me that almost thinks, looking how vulnerable Liverpool are when you turn them around, that maybe if they get to do what they want to do, that'll be fine by us. I think it is a fascinating game of teams that want to do the same thing to one another, and I'm not sure... Which team will be able to do that? I'm curious if you see it the way I do. It's the first game I think we're going to have this season against a team that legitimately expects to have the ball more than the opposition and expects to have the field tilt in their favor, to have the ball in the in the attacking third more. We haven't really come up against that kind of challenge yet. Yeah. Um, look, I am imagining Jurgen Klopp getting his team out in the training sessions leading up to this playing the Saliba song for his team to get them ready for the cauldron that they're walking into, playing the Chaka song. Uh, On the training ground, playing North London forever. <laughs> yeah, uh, holding a light bulb, trying to come up with something here. Uh, we've got the 12th man here. We've got what uh, Arteta was afraid Anfield was going to be for this team. Now, t- Tim will tell you some stories that Anfield isn't always the mythical Anfield when you go there. But right now, uh, Arsenal Stadium is a cauldron for teams that go there and will give us an energy. Look, I think it's going to be a tough game. 
It's going to be really interesting to see. I know many of us will think this is the time you want to play Liverpool and we should be able to roll them. Um, but, you know, football being football, they're very dangerous. They want to play the way we play, as you said. So we're not going to have it all our way. Um, I think it's fascinating. I, I do want to come back to one thing you said. Nobody be nuts enough to think Chaco was the potential breakout player okay. of the you, season you you, you were you, you i mean <laughs> I, I get it like let's let's do the you know what act you know how they say like in the nfl when someone scores a touchdown act like you've been there before you know yeah. like act like you've been right before paul just take it with some magnam mag, mag magnanimity magnanimity, mag, magnanimity yep. and and just know that we all know you were right and we're so happy yeah i just want to lock in my gains now and sell before he has a stinker for the rest <laughs> of the season because <laughs> it was yeah, look, entirely crazy uh, as a breakout th- player but but yeah there may not be a team we owe one to quite like we owe one to liverpool who yeah. really have been a team that their specific way of playing has made us look pretty bad in recent memory i mean even manchester city we went there and looked really good in january I don't think we've looked really good against Liverpool much over the last few years, and I think there's a chance for that to happen. So we'll leave that for now. Boda glimped on the horizon. A chance, you know, I was trying to make out what an all-rotated 11 could be. This could be a Reese Nelson game. It will certainly be a Vieira game. It could be a Marquinhos game. It will certainly be an Enkedia game. Um, probably a Sambi Lakanga game. I, I, at least I hope. It is a home game. I, I, it, and look, Boda glimped have racked up some interesting results in Europe recently, but I, I still think... You go full rotation because if we make it through 100% of the prove it hypothesis, um, I think we are in a we're in a very good position. And you know what? On Saturday, we definitely proved it. We proved it. We proved that our football is better, that our coach is better, that our talent is better, that we are the better team, that North London is red, and rightfully so. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Sobrado. Thank you, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Thanks, Pause. Woo! My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Don't forget to give us a vote for us uh, in the FCAs so that the Spurs pod does not win. Can't have them winning anything anywhere at any time uh, because they don't, because they're forever in our shadow. We will have a rewatch. How could you not do a rewatch of this? You're going to want to do a rewatch of this. We're going to have um, instant reactions for Boda Glimp. We're going to have all kinds of stuff coming up, and then we'll build up to the Liverpool match, which will be another, I think, fun day to see where this whole thing is going and maybe maybe just maybe we'll find some time to laugh at united at some point too there's a lot to do we'll get to all of it we love you and we will talk to you after arsenal 10 boat a glimpse